month of May on the Minor League Baseball Podcast, the show before the show from MILB.com, episode 108. Hi, everyone. I am Tyler Mond. Sam Baxter is in New York City. Hi, Sam. Hello, Tyler. How are you? I am fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. good. Happy May. Hey, you too. You too. It's, uh, you know, May, May is a good month. May is always a good month. May is like, there's always good stuff. Like when you were a kid, like you'd start getting excited to get out of school in May. And, you know, it's like the first time we're like more days than not, at least where I live, more days than not are going to be warm. So that's a positive. I always love May. It's the first full month of baseball. It's, it's funny month. you say that because right when I said it, I was thinking like, I have nothing for May. I really do not have anything for <laughs> yeah, May. Yeah, it's like, like very it's not- neutral, but it's like very neutrally positive. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. There's no like big holiday. This no. There's Mother's Day. Yeah. So happy preemptive Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Which I'm sure um, I'll forget but, by the time it's actually Mother's Day. <laughs> maybe maybe this should be all of our reminders. Yeah, but, true. Uh, yeah, I just don't have this like one thing about May um, other than that and like some person, you know, my parents' anniversary, things like that. But it's, it, it's just, you know, things are in bloom. Things are – baseball season is in full swing. We can talk about things without having to – add caveats of small samples anymore we're, we're Rebirth, a month into- rejuvenation all that crap it's like a uh, yeah. seinfeld episode yeah <laughs> baseball included exactly everything's there well awesome uh let's get started on episode 108 of the show before the show uh before we do you can get in touch with this podcast at milb.com you can rate review and subscribe to the show on itunes and on the stitcher app wherever else you find podcasts you can also catch up on all of our past episodes those places and at milb.com slash podcast and we will head right into three strikes for this week's edition month number one in the books in 2017 we have wrapped up uh not with our first full month but with our first month of baseball for the minor league season in 2017 it had a lot of standouts had a lot of interesting individual performances single game performances uh some good stretches from a lot of top prospects some guys who have already seen major league time some guys who have very unexpectedly already seen major league time uh but sam when you look back at the month of april who stands out to you one player, one pitcher, players of the month for April of 2017 to get this season underway. Yeah, so I, I want to uh, stipulate that this is not necessarily prospects purely. I mean, that's normally who we kind of favor here is, you know, who was the top prospect performer, that kind of thing. Um, not going to go that way, and that'll make sense when you hear about my hitter of the month, which was Jamie Romack at AAA El Paso. Uh if you follow the PCL at all the last couple of years, you probably know Jamie Romack's name. Uh, he's been in the PCL every season since 2012, I believe, um, playing for Omaha, Memphis, Albuquerque, Reno, and now El Paso, first year there. Uh, he's hitting 367 with a 412 on base percentage and 844 slugging percentage, uh, which results in a 1.257 OPS. Uh, 11 homers, one triple in eight doubles. So most of it, his extra base hits are leaving the yard, uh, which is just fascinating. Uh, 25 RBIs in 23 games. If you look at him through the prism of the WRC plus stat, which you can find on fan graphs, uh, not necessarily something we always use for the site, but can be helpful in terms of boiling down offensive performance to a single stat and, and treats it, you know, uh, it adjusts for league and not necessarily level. But it adjusts for league. So even in a league like the PCL, uh, where offense is you know happening all the time, it's a big offensive league. He still has a 226 WRC plus, um, average is 100. So he's well and above beyond average. Uh, that actually leads all minor leaguers 
again, adjusting for league, um, league effects and all of that. So uh, just having a monster year there in El Paso, 31 year old, obviously on the old side, this is something he almost needs to do if he's going to force his way to the Padres. Uh, he signed a, a minor league deal with them all the way back in November. It's a, it's a minor league deal. He got an invite to spring training, but he's not on the 40 man, just kind of there as roster filler. Um, but what we know of the Padres right now, you know, obviously they're kind of gunning for the first overall pick next year. Uh, not exactly a team that's looking to push uh, too hard. So, you know, Let's say something comes up with them on the infield. Uh, they need the help. Romack at least is performing well enough to get that look. Uh, he's got 27 games in the majors in the past. Um, you know, maybe he kind of forces his way there. Uh, he's played mostly first base with the Chihuahuas, 18 games there. Um, you know, two games at third base, some games at second last year or two years ago, excuse me, in Reno. So. Uh, this is a guy who kind of moved around, but you know if he's going to be, uh, um, if he's going to be forcing his way to the majors, you know this is kind of what he has to do. So, uh, Jamie Romack, my standout hitter of the of the month so far. Um, you know, again, not a name you'd necessarily necessarily know unless you've really followed the PCL, uh, but he's certainly forcing his way there, going the complete other end of the spectrum. Um, in terms of both age and pro kind of prospect status is John Duplantier with uh, in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization. He was their third round pick last year out of Rice. Uh, this year has not allowed an earned run in 20 and a third innings. Um, that's not exactly a soft thing. He's not exactly getting lucky. Lucky, excuse me. He struck out 28 batters in those 20 and a third innings, only walked four, holding batters to a 121 average. Uh, with a 0 0.59 whip. Um, he ranks at number eight in the D-backs organization. If you've heard us before, if you followed our farm system rankings, you know we're not entirely high on the D-backs in general. But, um, you know, he's kind of cementing himself as one of the standouts in that system if he's number eight now, you know, given the start he's had at Class A Kane County. Uh yeah, that's only going to help his profile. He is a college guy, like I said, coming out of Rice. Uh, I think he finished second last year among D1 pitchers in strikeouts. Um, so he's probably somebody who shouldn't be at the Class A level. Uh, a lot of college pitchers, if they're as talented as we believe DuPontier can be, um, they usually start out at the Class A advanced level. Maybe the D-backs kind of wanted to hold him back. Uh, you know, He's had a history of, of shoulder problems. You know, just get him that base level. Um, he didn't pitch very much at all in the pros last year. Only one game, got one inning in, walked two batters, struck out three. Uh, so they want to establish that base level for him before throwing him into the deep end that is the Cal League uh, when he gets the push to Visalia. But, you know, all, all you can do is pitch where you are, and he's certainly done that so far. So uh, a guy who, you know, was a top 10 prospect in a not great system. Uh, certainly put himself on the map in the this first month, and I'm kind of excited to see, A, how long this scoreless streak of his can go. Well, uh, is this streak of a 0.00 ERA, he has one, allowed, I think, one unearned run. So it's not completely scoreless. But um, how long he can keep this run going and how long until they push him to Class A advanced, as the uh, White Sox did this week. 
with a, a high pick of their own, a high college pick of their own. Well, a, a high college pick that they acquired in Dane Dunning from the, the Nationals, uh, who was at, absolutely killing it at Class A Kannapolis and eventually got pushed to Class A Advanced Winston-Salem. So um, it is about that time. If, if you are really dominating, sometimes you'll get that push. You know, what that means for Dublantier, we'll have to kind of watch if they're going to do it quickly or if they're going to hold him back until the first all-star break. But uh, yeah, th- he's becoming a very intriguing arm in that Arizona system. Yeah. That first month is kind of an interesting uh, separation benchmark in the minor league season. If you see guys go out and really tear it up for the first three, four weeks of a season, oftentimes organizations will say, okay, that's enough for us to see what this guy can do at the next level. Um, if not, if not by early to mid May, then in a lot of cases, guys will stay until the all-star break at a certain level to see if they can sustain or build on some early success. Um, I'm going to go to the Chicago Cubs organization for the position player selection that I have in this conversation. That's Heimer Candelario is a corner infielder with the AAA Iowa Cubs. Through 22 games so far this season, he's slashing 316, 435, 671 with 11 doubles, two triples, and four homers. He's also walked 14 times in 22 games. He struck out 22 times, but he's reaching at a very good rate. The thing about Heimer Candelario to keep in mind is he doesn't have anywhere to go with the major league level. Uh, Chris Bryant's blocking him at third base. Anthony Rizzo is blocking him at first base. So this start is very good for Candelario. It's very good for the Cubs in that it turns him into a more attractive piece going forward uh, for potentially a deal down the road, whether it's at the deadline, whether it's sometime this season for the Cubs to ship him out in exchange for some other type of talent. Um, We have seen... Theo Epstein is obviously very adept to being able to make those deals. Uh, last year, the the Cubs gave up a ton in order to get a, a stopper of a closer in Aroldis Chapman. It worked out for him. They got a World Series. So uh, somebody like Candelario having such a hot start bodes very well for all parties involved, uh, and it puts the Cubs and Candelario in an advantageous position um, going toward the early to middle stages of the 2017 season. Pitching-wise, I'm going to stay in that same division of the Cincinnati Reds organization and go with Tyler Molly of the AA Pensacola Blue Wahoos through five starts in April. Listen to these numbers. 4-0 record, wins, losses, whatever. 0.55 ERA with a 0.52 whip, walks plus hits per inning pitched. An opponent's average of 104 and 34 strikeouts against six walks in 32 and two-thirds innings. He's only given up two runs, both of them earned on 11 hits. And, oh, by the way, he turned in a nine-inning perfect game back on April 22nd. In that game... Tyler Molly's uh, game score was, I believe, a 103. It was the first perfect game in the Southern League since 1970. And a 103 game score, just to put it in perspective, uh, Kerry Woods' 20 strikeout game for the Cubs back in 1998, I believe it was, was a 105 game score. Um, Clayton Kershaw's no-hitter a few years ago against the Rockies, that was a 103. So Tyler Molly, eh, pretty good. Pretty good day uh, for Tyler Molly, who turned in a perfect game on April 22nd against Mobile. And, uh, yeah, so he's my guy on the uh, on the pitching side. And uh, Sam had one more note on this topic. Yeah, so um, I just wanted to offer one kind of quick correction on Jamie Romack. Um, I, I mentioned he had been in the PCL every, every season since 2012. That's not entirely true, which only makes this even more interesting, I think. Uh, I completely skipped over this when I was looking at the, his player page. In 2016, he was actually in Japan uh, playing for Yokohama, played 30 games there, hit only 113. So this was a guy who, who tried to follow that 
almost it's going to become the the uh, Thames rule, you know, going forward probably. Uh, you know, trying to go abroad and do well there to reestablish your value or stay there for a while, become an all-star, you know, make your money there, whatever. And it didn't work out for him. So he comes back, uh, you know, the, the Padres sign him basically as, as depth. Um, like I said, he's played most of his time at first base, not going to knock Will Myers off first base anytime soon. Uh, but to see him have this month, I'm sure is a huge relief to him. Uh, show him that, show himself, you know, at 31, uh, that he can still perform, you know, in pro ball period. Uh, and, you know, if he can kind of carry this even in the PCL, uh, you know, again, knowing that it's an offensive friendly league, uh, you know, if he can kind of push this, maybe he'll get back into the majors uh, for the first time since 2015 with Arizona. Strike two this week, Sam, through the first month of the season, some guys have stood out for what they've been able to do in a surprising fashion. Who is uh, giving you that nod as the most pleasant surprise in the early going this year? Yeah, I, I bring this up only because I did tool shed on him last week. Um, was a fun story. was a fun conversation with him. Uh, is Brewers prospect Monte Harrison. If you know that name, you probably should, uh, especially if you're a Brewers system. He was a second round pick back in 2014. Very toolsy. Basically had every tool you wanted uh, to see out of an outfielder, out of a young outfielder who got out at a high school in Missouri. Uh, had the bat speed to that you thought could eventually translate to power had the arm had the the speed that would work for, for both range and on the base paths uh he stole 32 bases in his first season and that was only over 50 games in the azl uh so it was just waiting for him to put it all together and it never really happened um you know he had some injuries the first couple seasons um i think one was a, a broken hand bone um, you know, going through just some real struggle and then, you know, not just only getting injured, but, you know, he hit 148 at Class A Wisconsin over 46 games then in 2015, got sent back down, then got hurt. Uh, 2016, hit 221 for Wisconsin with a 631 OPS. And, you know, injuries throwing that off as well. Only played 80 games last season. Entering this season, again, he's at Class A. He told me, he basically talked to the Brewers farm director, just said, what is the plan? You know, what what do you guys want out of me? Where am I going to be starting the year? Uh, he's still only 21. He's not going to turn 22 until August. So even now, he's basically a college junior. Um, and, you know, as we mentioned with Duplantier, some of those guys even start out at Class A. So he's still not entirely behind the curve, but the, the way he's able to – been able to put together this first month has been really kind of something special. Uh, he's got a line of 315, 375, 630, uh, six homers, which actually ties his career high already. Uh, the six homers he hit last year at Class A Wisconsin. Um, and, you know, talking to him, it seems like they kind of worked on his stance a little bit. They added a leg kick. Uh, he says he's seeing the ball a lot better. It's able to get him a, in a lot better rhythm. Uh, which if you ever talk to a, a hitter, it's that rhythm that really, you know, when they can get all the parts moving towards the ball in a way that feels like it clicks, that's a big thing. Uh, he said that work started last year in Instructs. Uh, this year it didn't take until I think it was 0 for 4 with two strikeouts in a spring game where he's like, okay, everything felt right there. It just, it, the results didn't matter. He was just happy that everything felt so right. And then the next day, uh, you know, he homered. I think he had four hits, he told me. 
Um, so he, he's a guy you're starting to see all the things click. That bat speed's translating now to power because he's making better contact. He's making more regular contact. Uh, we'll see how this goes forward. Again, he's only at Wisconsin. Um, you kind of hoped at this point in his career, based on his draft status, based on the way we kind of project him without the injuries, you would hope he would have been at least a double A at this point. He's not. He's still young, still developing, um, still has all those other tools, still has pretty good speed, um, still plays a really good center field. So if everything clicks there, it's just another tool or not another tool, you know, he's just another really good prospect in that Brewer system that is already kind of loaded with outfielders uh, between Lewis Brinson and Brett Phillips uh, at AAA Colorado Springs. They just added Corey Ray in last year's draft. Uh, he's starting out the year at Class A Advanced Carolina after uh, some injuries held him back and extended for a little bit. Um, so Harrison was kind of in danger of falling behind, not only in terms of levels, but just in terms of, how the Brewers were looking at their future, uh, the way he's performed this first month, he's put himself right back into that conversation. And a Brewer system that we thought was already exciting gets even more so uh, if he gets really hot here over the rest of the year. I'm actually going to go on the Brewer system as well um, with the eighth-ranked prospect in that organization, Brandon Woodruff, the right-hander who was with AAA Colorado Springs this year. Um, Brandon Woodruff has been outstanding out of the gate for the Colorado Springs Sky Sox, and that was such a strange affiliation change. The Brewers got kind of left in a spot where Colorado Springs was the last AAA affiliate available a couple of years ago through some realignment with player development contracts. And so, you know, that's going to be a question mark for – any organization sending its pitchers to Colorado Springs and it was a Rockies affiliate for so long and that seemed to mirror things well because the Rockies knew their pitchers were going to have to deal with unique circumstances at the major league level so they didn't deal with uh, having to jump them over Colorado Springs anything like that what I like with the Brewers though they haven't shied away from that either. And I think it would be very easy for organizations to say, you know, this is a, a very difficult pitcher's environment. We're not going to deal with sending our guys there to get their heads kicked in and break down their confidence and that type of stuff. Milwaukee hasn't done that. Josh Hader has gone there. Hader's experienced some success. This year he's 2-2 two and two with a 4.38 ERA through his first five starts, a whip of 1.42. Opponents are batting just 209 against him. But Brandon Woodruff, through four starts so far this year, a 161 ERA in 22 and a third innings. He has struck out 17. He's walked six. His whip is under one. It's a 0.99. Opponents are batting just 200 against him. Uh, I talked to him last week for a story, and he said, yeah, I mean, we heard all the things, you know, coming out to the PCL, especially with us pitching in Colorado Springs. Your breaking stuff isn't necessarily going to be as effective. Mistakes are going to hurt you a lot more, but I'm really not that overly concerned about it. I just go out and I try to do the things that I know will make me successful. And that to me speaks so much to the maturity of not only Brandon Woodruff, but the guys on that staff. And I think he feeds off of, you mentioned some of the guys who are on that roster, Lewis Brinson and Brett Phillips and, you know, Ryan Cordell is part of that team as well. Some very, very good talent on that AAA roster in the Brewers organization. Those guys all seem to be building off of each other. There's a lot of talent in that clubhouse and it seems to be feeding success. The position players doing it for the pitchers and vice versa. Uh, but for Brandon Woodruff, I mean, I think for a guy who jumps up and is going to be a little bit in the shadow of Josh Hader, uh, going to a new level and showing that you're able to just jump right in, be successful, not worry about the the circumstances of where you are, how much of a struggle it could be. Uh, you know, last year he made the jump from Class A advance where he was dominant through eight starts, and he took some lumps in his double-A debut, but over 20 starts there, adjusted, uh, saw that road out, and was very, very good in total, a 3.01 ERA over 20 
20 starts, 124 Ks and 113 and two thirds. So I guess I shouldn't say that it's a shock, but it is a pleasant surprise to see a guy like that make it climb into a difficult environment and not be phased at all by it. So that's been a very good thing for the Milwaukee Brewers organization. Very Brewers-centric in Strike 2. And uh, Strike 3 this week, Sam. We saw some cool stuff over the last two weeks in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. Dovidas Nevaraskis, the relief pitcher, became the first Lithuanian-born major leaguer ever called to the big leagues uh, in the Pirates system. And then... When his big league cameo was done, he was sent back to the minor league so the Pirates could bring up the first ever African-born major leaguer in South Africa's Gift and Gope, which was an extraordinarily cool thing to see. Uh, and both of those promotions not only make history, but kind of just make you feel good about guys' stories and the way guys are able to, you know, somebody had the quote, if I had a dollar for every time somebody told Gift he was never going to make it, I'd be a very rich man. Uh, so it's cool to see stories like that where guys overcome very difficult roads to get to the big leagues and are able to make history in the process. Um, this week, we saw uh, another crazy one in uh, our guest for this week's edition of the show, which is uh, a very unique situation in, again, the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. Catcher John Borman started a day in Class A advance and ended it in the big leagues with the Pirates for a very, very brief cameo, but still a very interesting and unique, even though short-lived situation. And apparently the Pirates are just all about uh, creating these crazy situations over the last few weeks. But if you had to pick out a relatively plausible, maybe not likely, but fascinating promotion for somebody this season, who's it going to be the rest of the way? Yeah, so um, I, w I wish I had one on the tip of my tongue. You know, there's some prospect out there who who's born from a very, you know, off the map, or born in a very off the map locale who you know would be leading the charge for um, his country or the way we view their country in baseball. And it just none of that particularly came to me. If if anybody knows of one uh, that you're rooting for, please reach out to us. You know, let us know. We'd, we'd be glad to retweet you. Uh, these stories are great, uh, not only for the sport, but just in terms of us, um, you know, and, and like how we cover the sport and all that kind of stuff, all the stories we get to tell. Um, I love that stuff. So, but the one I, I kept coming back to um, in terms of who I would just love to see called up at some point this year is Richie Schaefer. Uh, if you remember the off season, we talked about him a little bit. We certainly had some stories about him, uh, you know, between all the different teams that he had been traded to, he was traded to the Mariners, uh, DFA by the Mariners claimed by the Phillies, DFA by the Phillies claimed by the Reds, uh, then claimed by the Indians and eventually was DFA'd by the Indians and sent down to AAA Columbus. Uh, so for all of that, you know, movement, you know, one of my favorite questions in talking to guys who are traded or moved in some way is how do you approach that? You know, do you approach that in terms of all these teams want you or all these other teams are deeming you, you know, losable? You know, we we can kind of get rid of this guy. He's kind of just an extra spot on the roster. Uh, for Schaefer, the reason I bring him up and not somebody like Adam Brett Walker um, is that Schaefer is actually having a pretty good start to his year. He's hitting 280. He's got a 402 on base percentage, uh, 533 slugging, so that results in a 936 OPS. Uh, five homers, four doubles in his first 22 games at AAA Columbus. Uh, he's walked 16 times in there, 23 strikeouts, so he's 
doing basic, you know, Richie Schaefer things, which is striking out a little bit more than you'd like, but uh, certainly reaching base at a much improved clip uh, than he has before at the at the AAA level. Uh, he had just a 329 OBP last year at AAA Durham. Uh, he's certainly improving that eye or that approach anyway in his uh, at, in his time at Columbus. So Indians, you know, we expect them to be contenders. It would just be really interesting after all this movement of all these teams that have decided he's not really worthy of being on their 40 man. Um, you know, it would just be fascinating if he kind of stuck his nose up at all of them and just decided, you know what, I'm not just roster filler. I'm not just here to be an organization guy. I can't be helpful to a major league team right now. Uh, and they make that work. Or, you know, they find a spot for him, you know, in that uh, Cleveland outfield at some point this year. You know, they, they've been pretty good with health in terms of that right now. Even Tyler Naquin uh, is with AAA Columbus right now. So they may not need him in terms of in terms of that major league depth quite yet. But, boy, would that be a fascinating story if he were still able to crack the majors in 2017 after that tumultuous offseason. I gave you a name of somebody that I was going to go for, um, and then as you were talking, I changed it. So, uh, so you lie. So it holds it against me. So basically, I lied is what I'm saying. Yes. Um, but a guy we've discussed on this show before during this season and who is making this more and more every day seem like a very distinct reality this year is the outfielder Anthony Alford in the Toronto Blue Jays organization. And the reason he's so fascinating, we've talked about his story in the past, a former college football player, played at Southern Miss, uh, played at, uh, I believe Mississippi State was his other school. Um, And now, of course, I'm going to have to Google it while we're on, which is so terrible. Ole Miss, I'm sorry. Ole Miss and Southern Miss, I'm so sorry. Mississippi State and Ole Miss fans, you're going to hate me forever for confusing your two schools. But anyway, uh, Anthony Alford, formerly a college football player, was drafted by the Blue Jays, continued to play football um, over the course of his first three professional seasons. He combined to play just 25 games and then decided after 2014 that he was going to be all-time, full-time baseball. So he went to the Australian Baseball League. He jumped into Class A Advanced uh, out of the Class A level in 2015. He started with Class A Lansing, then went up to Class A Advanced Dunedin. Then in 2016, spent the entire season with Dunedin, 92 games there. This year, he's jumped up to double a new hampshire and is on fire and people saw this from anthony alford when he was an amateur player when he was drafted they saw the athleticism they saw the baseball aptitude they knew he was going to be good but the issue was had he lost too much time developmentally with three years in which he really didn't focus on baseball full-time because he was still pursuing the football thing so it was going to be a tough and a pretty steep curve for anthony alford but he has blown up in 2017 and i think what's so cool about that is the story now goes from has this guy missed too much time to this guy's right on track. He's 22 years old at double A and he's playing extraordinarily well. So can he help a struggling Blue Jays team this season, maybe get something figured out to start getting on a little better track and what is an extremely difficult division. Um, That is a really cool story just because of, Anthony Alford being such a rarity now, we have so much single sports specialization, which, you know, that's a topic for another podcast. But for somebody to have gone the the baseball and football route and then decide, okay, I I think I've made my choice. I'm going to go with one. And then all of a sudden take off uh, over now his third season, really focusing on baseball full time is really cool. So Anthony Alford, maybe there's a shot for him at some point in 2017, although I'm not sure at this rate that it'll be in a circumstance where he's helping the Blue Jays push for the playoffs necessarily. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Things can change. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And 
the funny thing is, it, even if both of our situations happen, they're still not as out of left field right. as you know somebody getting called up straight from Class A advanced because we just can't even fathom that. You know that just doesn't happen really ever, unless it's an emergency situation, which is what the Pirates needed. You know they needed a catcher, and that's what happened. So even given the entire minors, you know we come up with two examples here, and then they still don't beat re- real life, which is awesome, right? Because I ne- you know I want that possibility still out there that real life can beat our expectations. Absolutely. Um, and as we discuss promotions and things of that sort, uh, just got a note sent across on the old Slack line from uh, our good buddy John Parker. Walker Bueller has been promoted to Double A Tulsa in the Texas or in the Los Angeles Dodgers organization in the Texas League. Uh, Bueller, the right-hander in the first round pick in 2015 out of Vanderbilt, coming off a of Tommy John surgery after he left college uh, and was moved into the professional ranks last year. He made just three total appearances between the rookie level Arizona league and full season class a Midwest league this year. He started off with the Rancho Cucamonga quakes and the class a advanced California league. His innings have been very heavily monitored and managed, but through 16 and a third innings, Walker Bueller has struck out 27 batters with five walks. He's allowing a 143 opponents average and a whip of 0.80. So the Dodgers think, yeah, he's probably ready for, Something a little bit more challenging. Uh, so Walker Bueller is on the way up. Uh, your thoughts on that? I think this is kind of to be expected. We sort of figured, and we talked about this before the season started, if he started strong, he probably wouldn't be long for the Cal League. So this isn't a huge shock, but it's a very encouraging sign for the Dodgers and for Bueller. Yeah, I actually uh, wrote that in uh, today's prospect roundup. Basically, if he was going to continue this, uh, it was going to be a pretty good sign that the Dodgers were going to push him not necessarily aggressively, but the only thing that could really hold him back is how they view his health um, coming off the Tommy John surgery. I think it was back in August of 2015. Um, so the fact that they are pushing him to Tulsa shows them that, you know, the Cal League wasn't presenting the challenge. They thought it might. Uh, they're still going to really monitor his innings. I think he only hit 65 pitches in this latest start going three and th- uh, three and two thirds innings. So, you know, what does that mean for his pitch count at Tulsa? We'll, we'll have to kind of keep an eye out on that. But, uh, you know, all the reports we have on him, the stuff could probably play at the major league level right now uh, if they wanted to move him to a bullpen role. That's not how they view him. They view him as a starter. Uh, but this aggressive push um, could mean, you know, if they kind of see him on this track to, to move up quickly like this, maybe – if they do really monitor his innings and keep it low, maybe we see Walker Bueller and Chavez Ravine uh, by the end of the year. So, um, you know, what were a lot of question marks? They they stay question marks, but this this promotion gives us some answers right now. Pretty cool. So that is strike three for this week's edition of the show before the show. Coming up, we're going to get a perspective on what it's like to be called to the big leagues from the Class A Advanced Florida State League. John Borman, a catcher in the Pirates organization who uh, became somewhat of a celebrity this week, will join the show to discuss his wild and crazy week in the Pirate system and making that jump up to the big leagues for what right now is a cup of coffee. And maybe one day he'll look back on as just the, the first taste of a long major league career. John Borman coming up next.
Well, if you go to the MILB.com player page for one John Borman, you will find uh, as of this past week on April 30th, 2017, this line, quote, Pittsburgh Pirates selected the contract of catcher John Borman from Bradenton Marauders. And then as of May 1st, quote, Pittsburgh Pirates option catcher John Borman to Bradenton Marauders. And with that, we welcome in uh, one of the most famous big leaguers of the last week, John Borman. John, welcome. How are you? guys i'm doing great thank you for having me this is such a crazy story and we're so excited to get a chance to talk to you and have you on um for those who do not know uh john this past weekend was all set to get ready for a, a marauders game taking on uh it was a road trip to charlotte for three games the 28th to the 30th and then starting a series actually a, a sunday start day or a monday start date for a series uh at st Lucie. but this weekend you go to the ballpark you get called in and told that you're jumping from class a advanced to the big leagues take us through this story well you know i i was uh excited i was in the lineup um <laughs> i was getting to catch one of our prospects that sunday day game um so I'm, i had just come in from bp uh we hit in the cage that day i was taking a shower putting my uniform on and our assistant gm kyle stark was there um watching us and making some notes uh and so he came out of the office and said john i need to talk to you for a minute so you know, I'm on my way into the office, and I hear our manager here, Alvarez. Um, I just, as I'm passing by, I hear him talking to uh, Kevin Krause, who's also uh, a listed catcher on the team, about catching Mitch Keller. So I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'm, you know, I'm either going up or down here. Um, and maybe I'm going to Altoona. Maybe somebody got banged up ahead of me, uh, and they need somebody today or tomorrow. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting down in the office. Uh, it's Kyle Stark, it's manager Hera. Um and a couple of front office guys that were in town. Um, and Kyle Starks starts to tell me, hey, we need you in Miami. And, I, you know, I'm thinking, uh, I think, you know, maybe he's got some, you know, some different plan. Maybe I'm going to to Altoona. Um, he said, no, Cervelli was banged up. Uh, couldn't go his last minute. You're going to the big leagues. Uh, and so I don't really recall the rest of the conversation <laughs> from there, man. Uh, I, my heart started beating real fast, started sweating. Um, and I just had this, this huge smile on my face, uh, shook everybody's hand in there and, and booked it over to my locker that we had and started packing up all my stuff, um, uh, really fast. And here Alvarez came out and made the, uh, announcement to the clubhouse, um, that I was going to be a big leaguer and, uh, the place just erupted, man. It was awesome. Um, I started getting everybody hugs. And at that point I started having tears rolling down my, or down my face. <laughs> um, just cause it was such an emotional moment. Guys were so happy for me, man, that, that some guys were crying with me. And, uh, it's just a great experience. And what was that drive like? I mean, we've read some of the stories of, you know, you're driving, going from, I think, the West Coast of Florida to the East Coast of Florida, trying to make it for your first major league game. I mean, that's got to be the best road trip of your life. But but what was it like just getting to the park? Oh, man, it was incredible. So we got the news at about noon, uh, and they had a 1 o'clock game, and that's a three-hour drive. Well, Adam Godwin, one of the uh, assistant coach here in Bradenton, they also needed him. So we hop in. Our field coordinator's rental, who was there to also watch us, we hop in his rental, um, and we make the three-hour drive in about two hours and 15 minutes. I won't tell you how fast we were going. Um, <laughs> <That's good>. but, <laughs> yeah. uh, we we made it uh, in, the I think, the bottom of the third inning. Um, and I, I mean, I tell you what, we were listening to it, or we pulled it up. Our phones were starting to die from, from all the phone calls and texts. 
Um, we needed the GPS to get into Miami, and I, I can't make this up, man. We were running out of gas. We literally, on the way back home, <laughs> no. three miles into the trip, the light comes on. Hey, you guys should probably get some gas. <laughs> so we were, we were sweating the last 10 miles. Like, man, please, we're not stopping. We're going to get out and, and hitchhike or something. We're not going to a gas station. Um, yeah, so we get there. Um, we're not 100% sure where to go. We know we're looking for the Diamond Club. Um, we pull into this parking garage, and they won't let us in because um, we got to have a pass. So we get out of the car, uh, and I forget who comes out. Somebody came out with the clubby, um, and they're waving at us. They came over to where we were. They said uh, somebody was coming out to get us a pass to park the car in that garage right there. And I hopped the fence and hustled into, uh, into the clubhouse. And, uh, so I meet, uh, Bones, the clubby in the clubhouse. He's got, um, all my uniform and everything laid out for me. I hustle over, set my bag down. I start to change and Greg Johnson, I believe is his name comes over with the contract for me. So as I'm changing, I'm signing a contract. Um, you know, I, I, it's probably the worst signatures in my life, but it doesn't really matter at this point. <laughs> um, you know, so I'm signing the contract and I, I'd say, uh, you know, within three or four minutes of me being in the clubhouse, I was heading down the tunnel into the dugout. So where were they in the game? So you get there, obviously, it was a 1 o'clock first pitch. What was the – you know, are you alone in the clubhouse at that moment? Like, what was the game scenario? Uh, so I walk into the clubhouse, and Danny Ortiz is in there. They got an uh, option to AAA to make room for me. Um, I think there were a couple guys in the training room, um, but really there was nobody in there. Um, it, they were in the third inning already. Um, so I got down there in the fourth. I don't really remember the fourth inning at all. Um, <laughs> just cause I, uh, walked down the tunnel and run into Tom Prince, who's the bench coach, um, who I knew pretty well. He was our field coordinator last year. So I spent a lot of time with him, um, shook his hand, said hello. Um, and he told me to go say hi to Clint. So I hustled over to say hi to Clint and, um, then I went back to Princey and he instructed me to go uh, talk to KB, uh, the first base coach, Kamir Barty, or Joey Cora, to get the signs. Uh, and then I hustled back upstairs to get signs from Cervelli that the catchers were using, uh, who was in the training room getting some treatment. And then I ran back down and uh, just started to soak it all in, man. I, I uh, looked around for a while, had a chance to sit down between uh, – Jameson Tyon and, and Frazier and class. Now those guys that were on the bench, um, get to have a little conversation with them and soak it in. Um, the park's incredible in Miami. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but, uh, that's state of the art stuff. Um, there's a reason the all-star game is being held there for sure, but a little different uh, than the FSL. Is that what you're saying? A little different than Florida State League? Uh, you got that right, man. <laughs> there are, our, our, uh, for for many reasons our manager uh my first manager in pro ball uh edgar varela is here today uh watching us play he's got a, a new title but he's here today and i said man from bristol to the show because uh, i played in bristol virginia in the appalachian league yeah that's a... um so we, i was just reflecting on that um yeah last night we're in the in the dugout and i get the day off um uh, and I'm looking around, there's probably 45 people there. Uh, and then just yesterday I was playing in front of, I don't know how many, 25,000 probably in a dome. I mean, it was quite a change of scenery. Well, you did get a chance to, to pinch hit, uh, in that ninth inning. Um, you got, you know, your one at bat, they, they at least made it worth your while to, 
hustle across the state like that. Um, you know, what are you thinking when you're stepping up? What What is that conversation with Hurdle like saying you're going to be hitting this inning? I mean, just take us through that, that one piece of action you got to see. Sure. Um, so it's the bottom of the eighth inning. I'm putting my stuff on because Stewart is up to bat and I'm going to pick him up between innings to go warm up the pitcher. Um, and McCutcheon is sitting next to my stuff. Um, Giff Ngope, the first uh, player from the continent of Africa. Um, you guys might have done a story on him. Um, yeah, we were actually Josh just Harrison talking about him. On a the other bit. Side of him. Yeah, Giff, great guy. Um, so all those guys, I mean, uh, so I'm putting my stuff on and I kind of make eye contact with Jay Hay and he's looking at me like kind of making a face like, hey, you getting in there? And I shake my ass like, no, man, no. Um, and then he, he makes this gesture to me, you know, kind of pounds his fist together like uh, like I might get an A-B. Um, and so that was kind of the beginning of it. I ran back out um, and I warmed up uh, Johnny Barbado, who we just got from the Yankees. Um, and I hustled back in the dugout, take my stuff off, put my hat back on because uh, I don't have very good hair. So um, throw the hat back feel. on, go up to the rail. Yeah, man, I, it, <laughs> it, I don't I don't have that show hair, that flow. Um, but uh, put throw the hat back on, go up to the rail, and I can I can hear uh, to my left. I hear Tom Prince uh, say, "All right, I'll tell him." I'm like, "Oh man, here we go." Um, and then I see him out of the corner of my eye walking up, and he says, "Hey." You're going to hit in the ninth. And so from there, I hustled over to grab my uh, my batting gloves. And, and the, I, gra- I got to wear one flat helmet, man. I never had one of those on before. That was quite an experience as well. It feels That's a little awesome. different. But uh grab my stuff, and I head down uh, into the tunnel. And I didn't even – I don't know why. I didn't even think to go to the cages to get some swings in uh, <laughs> and actually see a moving ball. But uh grabbed the – Grabbed my bat and just took probably 30 dry hacks in the tunnel, make sure I was loose, um, and then uh, come back up. He wasn't sure where I was going to hit in the lineup, um, but he goes, all right, hey, you're going to hit third. And so I walk over to the lineup card to see where we're at, and he counts it out for me. One, two, three. He goes back up to the top of the order, hitting for Harrison. <laughs> and, man, I, it was awesome. I uh, I was asking him, Tom Princess is uh, – before I got up to the on-deck circle, I said, man, what do you got for me? And uh, he said the coolest thing, man. He said, just listen to him, call your name. And That's I just, awesome. that hit home for me, man. Yeah, uh, I mean, so I'm on the on-deck circle. I'm I'm kind of relaxed now just hearing that. You know, I really didn't care what happened. I mean, it would have been great to get a knock in the bakes, my first A-B, but um, just to, to get on the on-deck circle, um, get loose there, you know, get my timing down, and then, uh, you know, Jose Ozuna, who just got up to the big leagues as well, making a huge impact, um, you know, hits a double in front of me. So I'm in an RBI situation there. Um, so I'm walking up and I, uh, I'm zoned out. I, I don't really see anything. I'm just listening to the, to the PA announcer. Uh, and he goes, uh, pinch hitting, making his major league debut, number 64, John Borman. And uh, I don't know how many people clap or whatever. It doesn't matter. I heard a little roar that counts. Um, but AJ Ellis did the coolest thing. AJ Ellis did the coolest thing. He walked out for me, uh, to the mound and he gave me that moment at home plate by myself. Um, just the respect was, was unbelievable that I received right there. Um, and so I, you know, he probably told him to give me a cookie, throw a heater right down the middle, you know, (laughs) (laughs) um, 
so he comes back, uh, and I dig into the box, man, and I got a, I got a heater, um, had some pretty good sink on it. And I don't, uh, Jarlin Garcia was the guy that I fished. Uh, I think he was a top prospect for him, uh, that just made it up maybe last year. Um, but it was a nasty lefty 95, you know, the whole deal. He's a big league guy. Um, gave me one to hit and I took, I took a really good swing at it, man. I didn't get cheated. Um, and just fouled it straight back into, into Ellis. Um, and then I, I had some really good takes in there. I was proud of the takes, um, uh, some really, really close balls. Um, I got myself into a two, one count and just expanded down just a little, uh, I was sitting heater. I got the heater and I, you know, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to look at those. Um, and then two, two count threw me a change up that I don't know, man, you can look at the film, but it probably moved two feet in my <laughs> eyes. Um, of course. it was, <laughs> it looked good, but, uh, I waved at it in, in strike three, but, uh, you know, I got my big league AB. I got to play in the big league game. I got a stat, uh, that's going to go in the baseball almanac, you know? Um, but I walked back to the dugout, um, probably the, the best I've felt after a strikeout for sure. But, you know, I walked down and throw my batting gloves and helmet back off, uh, in the rack there and gifts standing there and kind of pats me. Uh, and then, out of nowhere, here comes Jordy Mercer, you know, gives me a huge hug, pats me on the head. Uh, and then David Freeze, Yvonne No, I mean, all these guys um, just going up and just huge smiles kind of picked me up. They were so happy for me that I got that chance. And I felt inclined to um, tell Josh Harrison thank you for, for giving up his AB. I'm not sure if he gave it up or, you know, whatever happened. Um, but uh, just a, just a class, classy move for them. Um, and, you know, you can't say enough about those guys, the way they welcomed me. I wasn't a guy that was in big league camp. You know, I've been over a couple of times uh, as just a, you know, a just in case guy in the, in the spring training games. Um, so I, I had gotten to talk to him a little bit then, but uh, just the welcoming that I received um, from the guys that are, have been established in the big leagues was incredible. Um, and to have them invested in, in my career right there in that moment and put their, you know, their own, you know, uh, whatever they got going aside. Um, it was an awesome feeling. It was, it was, it was a first class move by the pirates, man. I, I can't say enough about the pirates organization from top to bottom, just first class individuals. Um, they're training the men and not just the player. Um, and so, you know, I, I can't say enough about them, honestly. That is incredible, man. I mean, that just the the AJ Ellis component of that story alone gives you goosebumps for a lifetime. And uh, I mean, for you, John, at this stage and now, it's it's a a circumstance that puts you on the radar. I mean, you're a 40 man guy now and the pirates obviously know what they have in you and know that you are somebody who could be called upon in a circumstance like that, given a very unique circumstance, but it's something that they trusted you with, um, which doesn't happen with just everybody. I mean, especially guys who are, you know, only in their third year in pro ball. John was a 24th round pick back in 2015 out of UTSA, Texas, San Antonio. Uh, so at this stage, John, I mean, you get that as sort of a boost uh, at the end of the first month of a season, and then you get sent back to, to high A. And now being where you are in this spot uh, with Bradenton, I mean, well, tell us about, I guess, the, the process of when they let you know, you know, that you were going to be headed back and then getting back in uh, with your Marauders teammates. What is that? that been like and and how do you you know kind of mentally how do you wrap yourself around what that was like over the last couple of days and now what you have to do going forward in this minor league season 
Sure. Well, after the game wrapped up, um, had an interview on the field, um, and I actually was lucky enough to have a, uh, my roommate last year in West Virginia and on the on the West Virginia Power, um, who is no longer with the Pirates organization, but he was uh, living in Miami and he got to go to the game. Um, so right after that interview on the field, I went and say hi to him, and you know it was all smiles there. Uh, head back up into the clubhouse and start getting undressed, pack my stuff up because the guys are uh, eating and packing up, going to Cincinnati. Um, Clint comes up from behind me and says, "Hey, nice job, but we're sending you down. <laughs> nice job, but we got to send you back." And I'm like, "Oh man, I understand." He gave me a big hug, um, and then from then on, guys were coming up. Uh, I got interviewed um, by I don't know how many guys, ten, fifteen people. Um, Garrett, I can see Garrett Cole out of this corner of my eye, just standing there smiling, uh, listening. It was pretty cool. Um, uh, after the interviews, uh, Garrett Cole, you know, he's like, Hey, have you eaten yet? Like, what are you doing? And I said, no, I'm, I'm wearing a cutoff shirt. I don't have any, you know, shorts on them. He's like, come on, let's go. And I said, you know, can I, can I go like this? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do what you want. Um, so we walk into the food room, he grabs me a beer, pops it open, hands it to me and, and then tells me to just get whatever I want. And we're having, you know, rice and beans, chicken that's falling off the bone, uh, <laughs> some oxtail, I mean, shrimp, all, you know, anything you can imagine. Um, so I, I served myself a plate. I sit down with David Freeze and, and Tony Watson and, uh, Phil Gosselin sit there and just have a conversation, you know, like I was one of the guys, um, they're talking about heading to Cincinnati and how the cake was dry, you know, <laughs> just awesome, awesome stuff that I'll never forget. Um, Josh Harrison gave me two bats. Um, Cole gave me a cigar. Uh, Trevor Williams, who threw that day, gave me a, a bag of cigar. I mean, just to, to celebrate that moment. And I had guys coming up, Tony Watson coming up and all sorts of guys coming up saying, you know, nice job. Thanks for helping out. And, uh, John, I just kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering where, with a situation like this, with it's a one-game cameo. I mean, what do you get to keep, other than the memory, which is going to last forever? And thankfully, we live in the time of TV, so you've always, you always have that evidence somewhere um, that this happened. At the very least, you know, God willing, you get another chance in uh, the next couple of years or even this season. But what souvenirs did you take away from this? Sure. Um... So Bones helped me out, got uh, everything authenticated with a little sticker on it. I thought it was pretty cool. Awesome. Um, I got to keep the jersey with my name on it. Uh, I got the hat. I got uh, that tossed out the ball that I uh, fouled off into, into Ellis. <laughs> uh, I got that. I've got uh, the big lineup card that hangs in the dugout with my name written in on it. Um, I've got the two little ones that are exchanged before the games, I think, um, and – one of them has Don Mattingly's signature on it, which is really cool. Um, the other one, Clint wrote on it, uh, next man up, congrats. Uh, that's awesome. Clint Hurdle, you know, and next man up theme is, is something that's huge with the Pirates. Um, so I get to keep that. Uh, I took the, uh, I don't know if I was supposed to, but I took the nameplate from above <laughs> the locker in Miami, number 64 on it. There's not a person um, in the world who would try to take that back from you. Don't worry about it. Yeah, they were going to have to hurt me to get it away from me for sure. Um, Darn right. So I, I, we get back. Uh, I think the club, the, the big leaguers probably beat us to Cincinnati. Uh, it, it took us a little while to get home. Um, but we got back about 10, 1030. 
and I, I pulled all my stuff and I left that stuff in the clubhouse, um, to overnight just so I could, I could show the guys the next day and everybody was just so excited. I, uh, heard stories. They said, uh, they pulled up, uh, the AB on their phones and stuff on the, on the computers on the bus. Um, and I guess somebody, uh, maybe Gage Hens, one of our starting, starting pitchers uh, said, uh, He's going in, and and from there the bus just erupted. You know, <laughs> um, guys are flying to the front of the bus to try and you know uh, watch the game on on two or three little phones um, hanging over the seats. I mean, you can imagine what that looks like. Harris, um, I heard, uh, you know, I heard it was they were going nuts. They said if I would have gotten a knock, the bus probably would have tipped over. <laughs> um, just, you know, just. Uh, I can't say enough about these guys either, man. Uh, my teammates are, are pretty special to me. Um, you know, the role that I'm in here in a ball is, is, is not ideal. You know, I, I want to play every day, but, um, having those guys at the park every day is what gets me here. You know, um, just being there for these guys and, you know, I've, I've realized my dream now and, and maybe I can help them, uh, reach there. So that's my focus now. Um, definitely want to get back. Um, but I've had my cup of coffee, you know, and, and I'm hungry for more. I'm thirsty, I guess you would say. <laughs> um, you know, I, I really, looking back at it, I really want to touch first base. And as funny as that sounds, I, I you know, if I would have put the ball in play anywhere, drop third strike, anything, man, I would have ran my best time I've ever run down to first base. Um, so that's my next goal, I guess, moving forwards. Um, get in the game and go touch first base. That is awesome. That's amazing. John, this has been one of the coolest conversations that we've had on the show, and it's such a unique story, and congratulations to you. Obviously, uh, a guy really deserves it, and uh, we definitely hope that it's not the last time you see a, a big league field and you get to touch first base a whole lot in your career, man. Congratulations on this, and thanks a ton for sharing the story with us. It's something that we'll never forget, and uh, you can continue to spread that gospel to the rest of the guys in that Bradenton clubhouse. Congratulations, man. Thank you guys so much. It was uh, definitely a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity I'll never forget. Let's move it over to the business of baseball and one Benjamin Hill. Hi, Ben. The business of baseball, Tyler, or the pleasure? Or the pleasure of baseball. Business and pleasure. Don't mix them. I mix them all the time. Ah, I'm that's what the we do business here. Business and pleasure of minor league baseball for milb.com and my that blog, Ben's Biz Blog. What we do around these baseball parts. So let's get into it. Um, one of the offseason feuds that we saw that led into the season, uh, there were a lot of them this year and tacos and bacon and yada, yada. Uh, but the round rock express and the Nashville <laughs> sounds, there were a lot more. I just couldn't think of them except for the one that we're going to lead into, uh, the round rock express and the Nashville sounds have been battling over their, uh, their various country music, their respective country music stylings. And, uh, that's going to all culminate starting this week in the inaugural battle for the boot series. Explain. Right, right. This is uh, the lead item in, in my latest uh, promo watch column. It runs every Tuesday, and you can read it now on MILB.com. But, yes, the battle for the boot, in which the Round Rock Express are playing as the Round Rock Dance Halls, and the Nashville Sounds are playing as the Nashville Honky Tonks. And this is a uh, passionate, albeit admittedly uh, manufactured rivalry between the two teams, where they are you know, battling for the Music City title. And Round Rock uh, being, you know, right outside of Austin, they're claiming the dance halls. They're claiming a more authentic style of country music, um, you know, fiddles and uh, more organic sound, uh, more traditional. 
And uh, Nashville is obviously known for all its recording studios, its honky-tonks, and uh, home to the Country Music Hall of Fame. And the teams are sniping back and forth on social media as teams are wont to do um, about whose style of country music uh, reigns supreme. And uh, I wrote all about it. But it, it is going to be played out uh, on the baseball field, as these things often are. Uh, it's a two-game home-and-home series, and the first one is in Round Rock on Saturday, and then uh, another one in late June in Nashville. And if one team uh, sweeps the series, they will win the, uh, the boot. And uh, if the team split the series, then a uh, social media vote on Twitter will somehow decide who gets the boot. And uh, I guess the team that wins gets the boot, and the team that loses doesn't get the boot, which is the opposite of how things usually go. But uh, you know how it is in minor league baseball. So to sum it all up, Round Rock Dance Halls versus the Nashville Honky Tonks, they have specialty logos and caps that uh, my power of description uh, will not give you the uh, imagery you need in your head. But check out the article. Look it up online. Uh, Pretty cool-looking country music theme duds for both teams and both teams have a history of doing uh, country music theme promotions uh the express have done several uh country music bobbleheads including a willie nelson one a couple years back the uh nashville sounds have the country music legends race in which uh mascots such as uh dollar or uh, who's it george jones johnny cash and um reba mcintyre all race so so they um there's a history with all this, and uh, it's all in good fun. So there you go. So when, when we say they're going to get the boot, like is this is this like a college football rivalry thing where there's physically it's exactly what I was thinking about it. Yeah, I, I believe there is. I don't think it exists yet because this won't be decided till the end of next month. I have not seen any literal boot, but in battling for the boot, I think there will be a boot trophy. And let's assume that maybe this goes on beyond one year, and the boot can. Uh, go back and forth between uh, locales as necessary there's a tweet from the round rock express um to the nashville sounds which they uh make a comment please tell us more about the authenticity of your country roots and they have four pictures of people that i don't know but one of them is taylor swift uh she's from pennsylvania right so why eh, like among the celebrities that i can't stand my my uh feelings about taylor swift are very well known but how i don't get how the round rock express are going to claim her and also the reading phillies are going to claim her and also the like pick a side taylor swift high school is tough for everybody Tyler, that was a really good rant, but um, <laughs> the Round Rock Express are tweeting oh, pop are they stars the who joke, have Nashville roots stars, saying we're you. authentic and okay. you, Nashville, are sorry, not. Round, Round Rock. Rock Express are not claiming Taylor Swift. Thank They're goodness. using the likes of Taylor Swift to say, okay. Nashville, your style of country music Phew. is not authentic. Okay, I apologize, Round Rock. I got carried away. With my feelings about Taylor Swift, and I apologize, you didn't in any way deserve that. In Nashville, now you're you're on notice. Um, but uh, no, it's cool, and we've seen so many of these things come up this year. There's the Hatfields and McCoys rivalry in the South Atlantic League. We mentioned the tacos and bacon between the Fresno Grizzlies and the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, two teams that don't play on the field but are still going to have a a feud over social media and through kind of a branding campaign with Brandios. And, um, but this is interesting. This is sort of a, a new wave thing in 2017, it feels like, Ben. And a lot of teams are kind of glomming onto this thing of, I don't want to say inventing rivalries, but coming up with sort of cross-promotional ideas with other front offices, which is new. 
Yeah, I mean, we're just seeing this emerge, and you gave a few recent examples, and that's about all there is. I think this is kind of an extension of uh, teams finding success with the one-night-only rebrandings based on the food items or what could have been night. And I think a natural extension of that is to say, hey, if we have an opponent uh, who's a natural rival for us or even an unnatural rival, what are ways in which we can do this as a joint effort in which our identity for this night or nights in question uh, actually plays off of the opponent and isn't just us doing something ridiculous while we play the opponent in their normal jersey. So why not get both involved, uh, you know, have both teams be able to hype it up, um, you know, make it a home-and-home home series or over the course of several series and uh, just have more engagement and more life to the promotion overall. So I think we'll see more of it as time goes on. I think it just comes down to everybody grew up with wrestling. I think It just sounds like such a the, – the taunting going back and forth. It, it not only – with this, but like even going back to opening day with what was it, Rochester and Syracuse, they had like the sniping back and forth between Twitter accounts and front offices, and that's even a new thing, right? Even even when like necessary, not necessarily like here's a jersey we're going to be wearing and you're the bad guys and we're the good guys type thing. It's even like gotten to that level. Well, I think. Uh... Twitter has made it so easy to That's do true, that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right with the pro wrestling and the fact that sports rivalries, some in minor league baseball and otherwise, obviously go back very long periods of time. But I don't think there's ever been a medium better than Twitter that makes rapid fire back and forth uh, so easily in terms of uh, you can make enemies with people you shouldn't be enemies with or just create rivalries out of nothing. And uh, I think teams have had a lot of fun with that. And uh, clearly enjoy going at each other when it's all in good fun and maybe sometimes when it isn't like today the Toledo the, yeah the, well the Toledo Mudhens today um oh, you that. know unveiled uh, their Sergeant Pepper jerseys and uh, it's going viral right now as we speak drop everything and take a look you know it's the 50th anniversary of uh, Sergeant Pepper but the Fresno Grizzlies announced theirs uh, two months earlier and just for whatever reason didn't get the same level of attention and now we have Toledo and Fresno fighting about who had the Sergeant Pepper jersey first and what it means to be first, and uh, they're going back and forth forever. These are the sort of things that just would not happen until the modern day. I don't think the Beatles or the Baby Boomers could possibly understand what they have wrought. <laughs> they have wrought so much, and the, the, the reckoning is happening now. Well, uh, there's a lot more in Promo Watch this week. May 4th is coming up, of course, so there are a lot of Star Wars-themed promotions around May the 4th be with you. Cinco de Mayo is coming up as well, um, and one cool thing the Frisco Rough Riders are doing, they are uh, for a night. Uh, changing their names to Los Jinetes, which means the Riders, I believe, in Spanish. And we've seen that a lot in other sports um, where teams, it's happened a lot in Major League Baseball, but in the NBA as well, teams will take on the Spanish name, uh, the Spanish version of their team name for either a, a Latino American Heritage Night or something like that. And Frisco will be doing that on Cinco de Mayo, which is cool. And there's a lot more stuff up on uh, Promo Watch for this week as well. But Ben, last week we talked about your inaugural road trip of 2017, which continues bearing fruit on the blog and on the site. And you got a chance to tell the story of uh, Frisco's ambassador of fun. And Frisco was road trip number one. Tell us about Michael Gruber. Groobs, correct? Yeah, Groobs. You know, this is kind of a weird story, but um, Groobs, Michael Groobs Gruber, is sort of a cult celebrity in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, uh, dating back to his days on a popular sports talk station, 1310 The Ticket, where he was a board operator and sort of cult figure uh, to the station's many listeners. Uh, based on that, he built up a social media presence, does DJing at uh, Dallas Stars games, and um, 
just isn't all you know a goofy man about town in the in the Dallas sports world. So the Frisco Rough Riders have made him their ambassador of fun, and he's there every Thursday. Thirsty Thursdays or Groovy Groobs Days, and uh, the team has given away several bobbleheads of him already, including a life-size bobblehead that was rejected by the winners because they didn't want to pay the gift tax, allegedly. Um, there are two Groobs bobbleheads this year, uh, one where he's riding a centaur and the other riding a unicorn. So I wrote an article about Groobs being like, what's your deal, man? How did this come to be? And uh, he was an interesting guy to talk to because you know he's this ambassador of fun and he's really out there and goofy. But in talking to him, you know, he was like a very self, soft-spoken and self-deprecating kind of guy, just kind of shrugging his shoulders and say, hey, man, I just go with it and see what happens. And uh, pretty unique to have someone from outside the front office specifically who's a real human, a human mascot, as he calls himself, be adopted by a team to this extent and play such a role in the team's, uh, you know, week-to-week promotions, especially Thirsty Thursday, which are groovy groups days. So uh, you can check about check that out that story out on the site as well. I did a, a my first ever video designated eater segment, and that's on the blog, Ben's Biz blog. Uh, probably still have a little bit more from Frisco to come. In fact, I guarantee you I do. But uh, that's all ending soon, and the next trip is next week, and I'm heading to California. So if it's not one thing, it's another. Yeah, well, let's get, get into that trip to California because – you're leaving next Wednesday. You said it's a Wednesday to Wednesday trip, right? Right, right. Flying into San Diego, and I'm going to visit Brandios because uh, they're based there. You know, Brandios uh, logo designers. Many, many logos have they designed in the world of minor league baseball. Uh, many teams with two names uh, have gotten a reputation for uh, the snarling logos sometimes. But anyway, I'll be visiting uh, Brandios and looking forward to kind of seeing their operation and what it's like. And then I'm visiting all four teams in the California League South. Inland Empire, Rancho Cucamonga, Lake Elsinore, and uh, Lancaster. So uh, going to spend a week out there seeing all those sites. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben's Biz. See what I'm seeing in California. Give me suggestions on what to do in and outside of the ballparks. And I'll be gone from May 10th to May 17th. And I'm sure writing about that trip well into June. And uh, if it's not one thing, it's another. And so it goes and on and on and on and on and on. Well, let's kind of get into the Brandios trip just a little. Like what you're kind of expecting of that because – you know, we've talked about it beforehand. Um, you know, this isn't like rebranding season. And when we think of Brandios, we think of rebrand. So what exactly are you thinking you're going to find out? You're going to see them doing when you when you go to meet them? I mean, what's the kind of plan of that visit? Well, like a lot of things on these road trips, a lot is uh, TBD. But yeah, I think I want to talk to them, get a sense of where they work every day, you know, where these logos are actually created and brainstormed in a lot of cases after they visited the teams in question, you know, Brandios has done Jacksonville Jumbo Trip, Akron Rubber Ducks, Pensacola Blue Wahoos, uh, you know, Downey's Wood Ducks, uh, Binghamton Rumble Ponies. You know, so many teams recently, they've made a huge impact on the landscape. So I want to see where they do their work, get a sense of that. And uh, kind of Sam, as you alluded to, um, kind of get a sense of what their year is in the sense of what are they working on at any given time? What are their timetables for these projects in order for them to be done during, you know, what we call rebranding season. So we talk about Brandios and logos a lot in the off season over a very specific two or three month period, but obviously the work is getting done year round to make that happen. So just kind of want to find out what makes them tick. I've known those guys for a while, just writing about logos and uh, seeing them in industry events, but I've never visited them on their home turf and should be an interesting way to kick off a road trip. Uh, through the Cal League South. 
That's going to be really cool. And the the intricacies that go into those guys coming up with identities and logos and concepts is uh, is fascinating. And so that'll be really cool. It's like a that is one big summit of minor league baseball minds. Benjamin Hill and the Brandios guys in the same place at the same time. That's huge. Yeah. It's gigantic. I mean, just try to wrap your head around it. You probably can't. It's fantastic. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz there. And you can check out the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. You can follow Ben uh, throughout his next road trip, which will be California and uh, the Cal League South. And uh, enjoy it, man. Brandy O should be cool. Have a ton of fun with that. Yeah, thank you. And um, I don't know the next time I'll talk to you if it'll be on the road or not. But in the meantime, I'm going to give Sam an assignment. And that is, uh, Sam, you have to fix the microphone we use <laughs> because it's always falling out of place because it's not it's not in the stand correctly because he needs like a Phillips head screwdriver. So I'm going to make this public. Yeah. Tweet at Sam Dykster MLB, get a Phillips head screwdriver, make the podcast better. Hashtag get a screwdriver, <laughs> Sam, <laughs> Sam Dykstra. It's... And uh, that's uh, what I'd like to leave you with. And I hope the next time I do a uh, taping with you guys, which I very much enjoy, we have a stand that has been tightened with a <laughs> Phillips head screwdriver. Thank you. This has been putting me actively and loudly on blast for something we talk about every week that I always say I forget. So, yeah, if somebody wants to tweet me a reminder of that over the weekend, I will go to, to my nearest hardware store and get on that. I, I have some furniture I need to put together, too. So there we go. Tweet them <laughs> at Sam Dykstra MLB. Getting things done on this podcast. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Finishing off the 108th episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Again, a huge thanks to catcher John Borman from the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. It was so cool getting a chance to hear John's story. And uh, big congratulations to him on, again, what we hope is, you know, the first of many big league career games for John Borman. And uh, back with the Bradenton Marauders now in the Florida State League. And also big thanks to Benjamin Hill, who is off on the road again next week. Uh, MILB.TV is your home for all the best in minor league baseball. Sam, what are you watching on MILB TV this week? Yeah, so uh, I've got my eye this weekend. Uh, Vegas heads to Albuquerque for a, uh, I think it's a three-game set. They're at least playing Saturday, Sunday. Uh, And that's interesting just because I think the Mets, maybe it's because I work in New York. Maybe it's that East Coast bias, whatever. But Mets fans seem to be really down on the team right now. Noah Syndergaard, you know, is going to miss significant time with a lad injury. Um, Team's not performing exactly to expectations. Uh, But we've always talked up Ahmed Rosario and Dominic Smith. Uh, They are off to fantastic uh, fantastic starts. Excuse me. Uh, Rosario is hitting 409 with a 979 OPS uh, in his first 24 games. Uh, Dominic Smith is hitting 343 with a 908 OPS. Uh, They are basically meeting or exceeding expectations uh, in Vegas. Um, Yeah, if there's a place that we think they could thrive offensively, it's, it's definitely in the PCL. But you know, these are guys who are still young. They're still have never played triple a before. Uh, and to see them hit the ground running in the way they have is very exciting. If you are a Mets fan, uh, if, since they're in Albuquerque, uh, it's worth checking out because Albuquerque is an offensive friendly environment. Uh, they could do really well there, but also the isotopes have Rymel Tapia, uh, who is almost done even better than those two, uh, 385 average 1.018 OPS, uh, 10 doubles and three triples in his 17 games with the Topes. Uh, he's a guy who I think at this point should probably be in the majors, but as Tyler can attest, that Rockies outfield, trying to find playing time for him right now is difficult, and that's even with David Dahl on the DL. So they're going to keep him in, in Albuquerque, let him hit. Um, maybe he'll find a little more 
extra power than he's shown this far, although gap power is still pretty good for him. Um, and that, that should be a fascinating offensive lineup. Would not be surprised if a couple games end 10-7 this weekend in Albuquerque. So that should be a fun one if you're looking for offense or if you're a, a, a down Mets fan trying to find what's next. Uh, what do you got your eye on, Tyler? Well, to be fair, uh, I don't think it's just an East Coast bias. I think everybody is that down on the Mets, so don't worry. Um, yeah. yeah, there we go. <laughs> Sorry, Mets fans. It's sweeping the na- nation. <laughs> sweeping down People being Mets. down on the Mets. The latest craze. Uh, also, one other weird note. Rymel Tapia, as uh, Sam noted, 10 doubles and three triples this year. He leads his team in slugging percentage without having hit a home run in 2017, which is kind of an odd quirk. Uh, but we discussed, we somewhat broke – the news, although you can't really break news on a podcast, but earlier we talked about how Walker Bueller was headed to Double A Tulsa in the Los Angeles Dodgers organization, and uh, if things all are as they seem to stack up right now, the fifth-ranked prospect in the Dodgers organization will make his Tulsa debut coming up on Saturday against Springfield. There's always, you know, we stress every week that pitching rotations are always subject to change, um, especially after promotions. Pitching rotations are subject to change because if Walker Buehler has a crazy travel day, if a flight gets canceled, if he ends up getting out late, whatever, sometimes they'll stack things around to ensure that he's on proper rest or a little extra rest. So it is likely Saturday. His last appearance was May 1st. If not Saturday, maybe keep an eye out on Sunday for him. But again, as always, you can check the pitching probables and everything else, uh, NMILB.com on the scoreboards page. And uh, that's exciting. I'm excited to see what what Walker Bueller is able to do at the AA level because he was so dominant at Class A Advanced to start this year. Now it seems like he's on track. You wanted to see coming off of the surgery, if he was healthy, if the stuff was still the same. Now it looks like it's full speed ahead with Walker Bueller, and they can really start to turn him loose with double-A Tulsa. So I got an eye on that. Yeah, and especially just how long they're going to let him last. Uh, you know, if they let him get into the fifth inning, then that could be a, a really fun sign too. Um, not only are you getting the most out of your MILB.TV watch, um, but it, again, it would just be a sign that the Dodgers are kind of ready to let him loose um, and, you know, let him pitch as long as he can show he's comfortable. Uh, hopefully, I, I would imagine it's going to be a little bit more than the 65 pitches he threw uh, on May 1st. But, uh, yeah, that's something to keep an eye out for. So that'll do it for the 108th episode of the show before the show. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mon. A big thanks again to John Borman and to Benjamin Hill. And a big thanks to you, as always, for tuning in. And we'll talk to you next week. 